Super Talk Mississippi media production. Let's continue looking around the SEC. Another opponent the Mississippi State doesn't have on the schedule, but I think a very intriguing opponent and our team and a a a a program that I have my we've had our eye on the past few years ever since Dan Mullen went down there uh, from Mississippi State. That's the Florida Gators. Graham Hall joins us now uh, from Swamp twenty four seven. And Graham, I mean, the first question is kind of obvious: What's the temperature around Billy Napier in year two? I, I mean, this is Florida six and seven is not what the Florida Gators are used to, or they're not what they're going to accept. You know, what's what's the situation with him going into his second year in Gainesville? I think the external narrative has been a little bit negative, right? You always have the high after a coaching hire where there's a lot of optimism that there's going to be improvement. And seeing that not necessarily come to fruition on the field last year was a little bit difficult for fans of a Florida program with really, really high expectations for the past three decades, really. That was tough for them to swallow, especially when you looked at now, even more so, the, the fact that they may have had a top five quarterback prospect at the position, uh, a top right guard in Osiris Torrance, a really good defensive tackle, three guys that are probably going to go within the first 60 picks, two potential first-round picks right there, and you go six and seven. I think that that was tough for a lot of people. This year, there's even been some more drama from Jaden Rashada, losing three assistant coaches, albeit to the NFL, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. That is really, I think, tough for fans. And then you bring in Graham Mertz, a guy who there's definitely some divisive opinions about him. A lot of people outside the program don't necessarily think that they're going to get this guy who's going to come in and throw for 4,000 yards, right? But a lot of people inside the program think that they have a guy who can manage the offense a little bit better. They're high on the additions. They think that they did well in the transfer portal. The guys coming back, they're obviously high on from Jason Marshall to Montrell Johnson and Ricky Pearsall. If all those pieces come together and the improvements come to fruition, they could have a better than six and seven finish. But a lot of question marks for a fan base that was hoping there would be a few less questions after one year with Billy Napier. So this isn't a quarterback battle going into the spring between Mertz and and Jack Miller. Miller is clearly the backup at this point. I'm glad you asked because I don't get that sense at all. I think a lot of people expected Graham Mertz to be, quote-unquote, handed the job. Billy Napier made it clear he doesn't hand anyone jobs, even though going back to last year, Ricky Pearsall comes in from Arizona State and instantly gets the number one jersey, which is a coveted thing within the program, before he's ever practiced with the team. Graham Mertz, that's not the case. This is a guy who's going to have to beat out Jack Miller. I've said time and time that, again, there's kind of an old saying – especially in the NFL, but also in college football, I think that you don't lose your job due to injury. That's the case with Jack Miller. He made an eight-month ascension last year, beat out Jalen Kitten, and became the number two quarterback. And last year, guys, he really had no chance of winning that job. Anthony Richardson took the majority of the first string snaps throughout spring camp last year. Then Miller gets hurt in fall camp, has the thumb avulsion fracture, the same injury that Drew Brees had back in 2019, but it was actually a little bit worse For Jack Miller, he still had a tough time gripping the football there in late November, had a not-so-great performance against Oregon State. He's a year ahead of Mertz in terms of familiarity with the personnel, the offense, the system. I think he has a chance still to win the job. It's no one's one's, starting gig right now. There's going to be competition going into fall camp, in my opinion. While Mertz does have the experience and a little bit older, I do see a – potential 
where Jack Miller can win the job. I think there are still some questions with Miller. He needs to be better about not getting passes batted down at the line, but he's got a good ball. There's another quarterback I got to mention on the roster before I finish this answer. Michael Leone, a really, really interesting one. If one of those two quarterbacks falter in some sense, they brought in this guy who's in his seventh year of football, played at UConn, was at NC State, former walk-on, doesn't have much action, but he is physically capable, 25 years old, throws an impressive ball in my mind. I'm no coach or serious NFL evaluator, but I think the guy throws a pretty impressive ball. I could see a potential where he gets on the field in some capacity, as crazy as that sounds as a walk-on. That's just the state of Florida's quarterback room right now where they didn't add Jaden Rashada and lost a guy after three years and Anthony Richardson who could go within the top five of the upcoming NFL draft. When I think about Florida, you mentioned, you know, they might have three players in the top 60, and obviously Richardson is one of them. But this is Florida, you know, where, where you think there, there's stars at the skill position almost every year. You know, for decades, the best wide receivers and some of the best running backs were Florida Gators. Who are the, the stars on this team? Who are the guys that are going to carry this team from an offensive standpoint? I'm going to say Montrell Johnson. I mean, that guy has been incredible in my mind since he's been in college. Starts out at Louisiana under Napier, has an 800-plusing uh, rushing yard season. We haven't seen too many of those, honestly, in Gainesville due to some of the rotations and some injuries within the room. Has some great success at Florida. Beats out some older guys in Lorenzo Lingard and Naquan Wright. Is the first string back for the team last year. Has some ways to improve still now in his third year. Needs to become better at becoming a pass-catching back. But he is a tremendous option. He is going to absolutely break off some big runs for the Gators this year. And Billy Napier is a run-first head coach. Before he got here, most of his offenses hovered around 50 to 60% split of run pass. That is a guy who likes to run the football, sometimes slow it down and, and eat up clock at times. And I think you're going to see the split of Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne really lead the way for this offense. It's not going to be an offense that expects Graham Mertz to come out and throw for 300 yards for the Gators to win. At wideout, you get Ricky Pearsall back, which is obviously, in my opinion, I think the biggest win for the returnees for the Gators, uh, especially on offense. That guy is tremendous. He can get open better than anyone. And then, you know, I'll, I'll mention Arliss Boardingham because Napier loves to run a lot of 12-man personnel. They didn't get the tight ends involved too much last year. They had the two returning guys go down in spring camp. Dante Zanner's working his way back, but Keon Zipper, Florida's leading pass-catching tight end last year, gone for the season with a torn ACL. So one of those younger guys, they have five underclassmen, is going to have to step up. I think Arliss Boardingham is going to be the guy who actually makes an impact in the pass-catching game. From what I've heard, kind of a Kyle Pitts light in terms of his athleticism and how he can get open. Not as big as Kyle Pitts, but a guy who can get open and make some catches and has some speed. And I can see him being used this season in the offense for Florida to have some success in the pass catching game. Those are the big ones. I also mentioned freshman Andy Jean. A lot of people high on him and what he can do this year as a true freshman early enrollee. That's Florida's situation right now. They lost four receivers from last year's team. So a lot of guys looking to step up this year. Arliss Boardingham is just a great A tier name. Right? We're, we're <laughs> Absolutely. Gonna, we're putting him in the top tier of names. Um, a name that Mississippi State fans, or at least people here in the state of Mississippi, might be familiar with is Austin Armstrong. Was at Southern Miss last year, did a great job with their defense. 
takes a job at Alabama as an assistant coach, but when Florida's defensive coordinator job comes open, that's I mean, this is a pretty meteoric rise. You know, you, you, last year he was a Group of Five coordinator. Now he's one of the top programs in the country's defensive coordinator. What do you expect from this Florida Gator defense that struggled at times last year under this new coordinator? I definitely think the meteoric rise is a good way to frame it, but the context I think is a little bit uh, more interesting. This is a guy that. As you know, up there at Southern Miss, he was the youngest defensive coordinator two years ago in the nation. So he's had the limelight on him for, what, 700-plus days, goes to Alabama, has worked at Georgia under Kirby Smart, goes to Alabama this past offseason for, what, all of two weeks, and was used to kind of being there in the inside linebackers room. Florida instantly identified him as the ideal replacement for Patrick Tony when Tony left for the NFL, and the reason why that they zeroed in on him right away is because there was strong belief, from what I've gathered, that there were still other programs, Power 5 programs, looking to poach Armstrong this offseason if Florida didn't come calling with that defensive coordinator job. That's how highly coveted, apparently, this guy is, and whether he lives up to those high expectations, I think obviously remains to be seen, a little bit unproven in the SEC, but a very, very confident guy, high-energy makes you want to play for him, has gained the respect of those within the defense in just, what, a month in Gainesville. And I think the most important thing is that it's not going to be, even though it is a quote-unquote new defense and there's some complex elements and Florida's going to be multidimensional and kind of all three levels of the defense, I think that there's a lot of similarities between Austin Armstrong and Patrick Tony. Those guys are like, I got to say, those guys are kind of like best friends. Uh, not to say that, you know, there's any vouching for necessarily here, but Patrick Tony has clearly vouched for Austin Armstrong and the affinity that Armstrong had for Tony and his system and his terminology, I think, has made it kind of a seamless transition in a sense. I know people throw that phrase around a lot, but that really is what it is here. And I think that kind of speaks, obviously, to how much fraternity elements there are here in college football, but it's one of those ways when you're a program like Florida where the NFL calendar has been pushed back a year with that extra game and you lose a coach right before spring camp, sometimes you need to rely on some familiarity elements, whether it's Austin Armstrong coming in, a defensive coordinator, or Billy Gonzalez coming back for his third stint in Gainesville. I mean, guys, I've been here nine years. I didn't think I would cover Billy Gonzalez again, but he is back at the program. You know what he did and Mississippi State, especially during that, what, 2016 season, I believe, where that offense was fantastic, broke so many records. He comes back again, and part of the reason, I think, for that was his familiarity with Gainesville, the, the personnel having been here, what, 16 months ago, and you lose a guy right before spring camp and don't replace them until the middle of spring camp, you maybe need to rely on some familiarity, whether that's Gonzalez or Austin Armstrong, or even retaining and elevating a guy like Russ Calloway, who's Florida's new tight ends coach. Last question, and this is what we're asking everybody who does the, the spring previews with us. When we get to November, you know, final week of the regular season after the Florida-Florida State game, what are we saying about the Gators? That's a really tough question, honestly. I'm glad you're asking everyone. Um, I hope that you don't save this and hold it over my head when Florida... I'm, I'm straight to old takes exposed on every one of you, yeah. I, there's a part of me that respects it because you've got to hold us over the fire to what we predict. You can ask me a prediction at any time, and I have no problem being wrong, and I try not to gloat when I'm right. But right now, unfortunately, and Florida fans may not want to hear it, but there are so many unproven elements on this team. The additions, the amount of attrition from last year, I have a lot of unknowns right now where it's hard for me to see Florida right now 
doing better than seven and five in 2023. There's about six teams on that schedule that have a case to be ranked within the top 25 if they aren't already. If you put any stock into those way too early top 25 rankings that come out around this time of year, I think that that alone, having to go out to Utah, they're going to potentially, more than likely, actually start a true freshman at left guard in that game out there at Utah. All the elements for this team, this could be kind of a little bit more of a foundational year than a lot of people were hoping for when many people were expecting Billy Napier to have that jump from year one to year two that he had at Louisiana, where he goes from seven and five to winning double digit, uh, having double double digit win seasons for three straight years. I don't know if that's going to happen right now in the SEC. You can't obviously say that's a seamless transition to use that callback right there. I do think that six and six. Seven and five is more likely right now than eight and four, nine and three. Not to say that they can't do that because crazy things happen. And a lot of Florida's games last year came down to just a couple of plays. And they ultimately were in three games last year on the very final play. So you're talking about three plays technically being the difference between a nine and three season and a six and six finish. So with that being said, I do think that Florida. Right now, I'm going to say seven and five. If they are seven and five heading into that bowl game, I actually do think that there's a very optimistic perspective you can have about that, given the amount of questions and how this coaching staff has adapted and how players improved upon last season if they do that. But there will be a lot of disappointment if Florida looks stuck in the mud and goes six and six or worse potentially this season, because that does not look like the improvement that this coaching staff and these personnel in Gainesville think that they are making right now as spring camp approaches its conclusion tomorrow. Yeah, I sort of took my follow-up question there. When you said seven and five, my my ears perked up a little bit. But, you know, I, I would imagine that it, it's seven and five, six and six, year three becomes win nine or you're going to be looking for a job. I do think that there's absolutely a testament to that. Maybe there's a perspective where – there's a understanding that the SEC, and I know that so many people say this, but maybe you guys will, will not rip me to shreds for, for being a little bit biased here. So many people say that the SEC is harder. And even if you're winning eight games, you're doing a lot of things right. And a lot of those games are coming down to a couple of plays. And that's sometimes the difference of, of being Texas A&M and being Georgia is just a couple of plays. I know that Texas A&M fans love to say that, and Georgia fans don't want to believe that, but that's the reality. Kirby Smart, I know that he won double-digit games in Athens almost immediately there, but it took him six years to get over the top. And I do think that there are Florida fans, especially recently under Jim McElwain, Will Muschamp, especially uh, under Dan Mullen, who even if they win double digit games, they're not going to be happy. They're only going to be content with winning the SEC and competing for a national championship, getting to the college football playoff, which Florida has not done If they can do that under Napier, whether it takes three, four, five years, I think that people will be content. Whether they're patient enough to see through this process remains to be seen. Scott Strickland, to bring the last Mississippi State connection in here, he I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he knows that. But the reality is, the narrative is that he needs a success at coach. Jeremy Foley did a really great job at hiring coaches at Florida, built them into an all-around program. There's a reason why they have as many national championships and especially as SEC championships across just, what, 21 sports as they do, while the football success has kind of fallen by the wayside 
for the last decade. It's because of the coaching across those sports. That hasn't been the case necessarily under Scott Strickland, not to put all the blame on him whatsoever, but he has to have a, a hit in many of the eyes of the fan base when it comes to hiring a head coach. And so maybe due to that, Napier gets a little bit longer of a leash than many people would think on the outside. They have $50 million tied to Billy Napier. I would not be shocked if he does go into year four, just like Dan Mullen did, and gets a little bit more time. Um, because I think that there are some factors here where you can't just absolutely judge it by what many think in the college football sphere, if that makes sense. Yeah. We shall see. Florida will be, like I said, a very interesting team to watch this year as they try to uh, to rebound from a disappointing 2022. Graham Hall, Swamp 24-7. Great stuff, man. Really appreciate your time. Always my pleasure. Got to do it again. Y'all take care up there. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.